Women, episode two of Making Monsters. This episode, we're going to be focused on the offensive line. The offensive line has been a, a very hot topic in Chicago. I can even go back to last season because last season was just such a disaster. We um, had an offensive line last season? Yeah, I don't know. I don't I, recall I'm not, that. I'm not quite sure that we had one. I think I kind of um, just wanted to erase all that from my memory. <laughs> yeah, we blurred it away. But uh, there was issues last year. And then this offseason, they get Ryan Poles. Ryan Poles is an offensive line guy. And so there was some excitement there. A lot of There was criticism between if they did enough in free agency in the draft with the offensive line. And then they get to the off season and they get a couple they get a couple veteran offensive line guys and then now there's drama with Tevin Jenkins and now we're seeing Braxton Jones really play very well and Eberflus is kind of shuffling things all around so offensive line is a hot topic right now so we are going to kind of focus on that obviously if you're new to making monsters making monsters is all about the the first contract guys so we're going to really focus on that those guys when you're talking about a whole position group as a whole, you're going to have to mention other names that may not be in that four years. But we really, really want to highlight these young guys because we want to know more about them, as I'm sure everybody else wants to know more about them. And as you go through the offensive line right now, honestly, there's a ton of young names that are being tossed around when they're talking about camp, and that's Kramer, Mustafer, um, I'm sorry if I butcher this and correct me if I am wrong. If anybody's listening and you know how to say this, I got it off of from being called at the NFL draft. Judd Tyree Carter, um, he's been a part of this. Larry Borum, obviously, Tevin Jenkins, Braxton Jones, Zachary Thomas. All those guys are four years or under, Dylan, all of them. Um, the only ones that are not white hair, Lucas Patrick, Schofield, and Riley Reef. Obviously, Lucas Patrick is hurt right now, so we're not talking, we're not going to say a whole lot about him in anyways. Um, so the point of this one, we're going to actually have two guests. We have our very first two guests. Yes, we have our very t- first two guests on Making Monsters. Scott Wright, he is a beat writer for Oklahoma State for US Today's Oklahoman.com. So he has covered Oklahoma football. That's what he does. Oklahoma he, State. Oklahoma right? State. Yeah. Sorry, yes. Do not mix those up. They will get very mad at you, very Oklahoma upset. fans and Oklahoma State fans. Oklahoma State football. Um, so he covered Tevin for his entire career in college, which is really cool. So he'll we'll get a little bit of insight from him. And then we also are going to talk to Aaron Fernandez. He is the offensive line coach for Southern Utah, which Braxton Jones went to Southern Utah. And so he covered Braxton for his career in college and also um, – he is an O-line guy. He's an O-line coach, so he can help us maybe understand what's going on on this offensive line possibly a little bit more than what we know. So, Dylan, um, Tevin. Tevin Jenkins. What's, go- is, what's going is, on? He is the hot name right now on the streets, that's for sure. I'll be honest, I have no idea what's yeah. going on with Tevin Jenkins. I don't think anyone has any idea what's going on with Tevin Jenkins except for the Bears and Tevin Jenkins. Um, you know, I've cooked up my own little theory, mm-hmm. but there's really not much anything to it. I've been under the... My own little thought that, so coming into minicamp, it was assumed that Tevin would be getting a lot of starter reps. It wasn't the case. We had our own uh, Braxton mm-hmm. Jones getting starting reps over him, and that was quite a surprise to a lot of people, including his former coach, which we'll get to later. And then, let alone, he, so he was there, everything was fine, and then we get to start training camp. Where's Tevin? Mm-hmm. Nowhere to be seen. And supposedly he's sick, or it's an injury, or this, this, or that. I think that he might have been a little bit offended at the fact that how Last year, he really didn't get a fair shake, for being honest. You yeah. know, he had this back this back surgery, he had to get pretty much right away at the start of camp, had no opportunity to really prepare himself, and then kind of got thrown in the deep end to start his career. Mm-hmm. And then coming into this year, he's already a second stringer to a guy who's drafted three rounds behind him. Yeah. And I could get how that could be definitely something that offends you. Yeah. But also at the same time, like, you're a professional, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, you should be out there competing. But also, I have no idea if this is true or not. This is just, you know, yeah, my own personal speculation. I can't really think of any other logical reason as to why he's not out there right now. And and it's just it's so odd to me because in my head he hasn't lost his position. He it's not like we're at the end of camp and Ibraflus has made it clear that these guys are his starting lines and if you've followed this offensive line during this offseason at all it's it's changed. It's flip-flop even most recently to today they're having different guys at different positions. One's a veteran for example and that was brought in to be a left tackle, was moved to right tackle today so Braxton Jones could be at that left tackle spot and number one reps. So it's just wild to me that somebody would give up 
and like we said, this is just a thought process. But in my head, that's giving up. That is giving up that like, hey, I'm backing out because somebody else is winning these reps right now. And that's not the way you do football. And I, I don't. So it's really hard for me to think that Tevin's at. I really hope it's not true because it, it's I liked I was excited about Tevin. I am excited about Tevin. But there's something weird going on. And now there's rumors of we heard little tricklings of, OK, now that he might get traded, there's people calling to get trades. And I saw a tweet today that said an NFL source confirms that the Bears are actively trying to trade offensive lineman Tevin Jenkins, who fell out of favor early with the new staff. Contrary to head coach Eberflus saying Jenkins absence is 100 percent injury related. Jenkins is at the facility working with trainers, but missed his sixth straight practice. So weird to me, because if a if a. Football team, if an NFL football team is trying to get trade compensation out of an offensive lineman that broke their back last season, was just drafted last year, and he's out there blatantly saying he's 100% injured but is trying to actively trade somebody, that doesn't match up to me either. So there's a lot of weird things going on with this Tevin Jenkins thing. Um, We don't know. He tweeted, Tevin himself tweeted, like, I'm good. Don't listen to everything you hear. Um, that is a very vague thing. That's a, to me, I've seen it on players that are having miscommunications or disagreements with their, their coaches. Usually that's the kind of response you get because you're trying to call, calm down people around you and you don't want other teams if it is a trade situation or if you are wanting to maybe not be here, um, you say something like that because it maybe calms people around you and it makes people think you're taking the higher road and are not panicking, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think something that uh, I noticed kind of very early on from Ryan Poles' tenure is a lot of the stuff I've always said about Tevin Jenkins is Ryan Poles is not a fan. Yeah. Plain and simple. And at this point, I kind of said this in our last episode, the way Ryan Poles views Tevin Jenkins is not as a second-round pick. Mm -hmm. He is a sunk cost to this this point because what he does has no effect on Ryan Poles' career. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, if he sticks around and he's great, like— It'll be fantastic, but it's not the guy that it's not. He's not Ryan Bowles' guy. He didn't bring him to this team. Yeah. So if he can trade him for like a fourth round pick, that's just an extra pick that he can get someone that he wants on the team. Yeah, and I get like Ryan Pole, but to me, it's too soon to determine oh, that. I like I don't think Ryan Poles has made that decision yet, and that's what it's odd to me because he, there's barely been. We just got pads on. Pads have been on for two days, so there's no way that Ryan Poles has made his decision that Tevin is or isn't the guy. One of the rumors I heard was more of the O-line coach, Chris Morgan. Chris Morgan yeah. and Tevin has has had some whatever it may be. I don't know if it's arguing, if it's disagreements, if he made Tevin upset, if he's said something to Tevin that's kind of made Tevin he feel like he doesn't have a place on this offensive line, which I would get being frustrated at that point because, like you said, it was not long ago we were talking about him – Possibly being a first rounder, he, and was, he, the, he was the future left tackle of this team after the yes. draft last year. That was the assumption at this point. At that point, it's, it's just a crazy situation. But um, we'll know more. Hopefully, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe the game will start, and we'll never, we, we won't ever know what happened to Tevin Jenkins. But uh, let's go ahead and talk to Scott Wright again. Scott Wright is the writer, the beat writer for Oklahoma State football. Um, on it was the a o- fun conversation. Yes, yeah. at Oklahoma at Oklahoman dot com, um, and Scott is going to give us a little insight on what he's seen from Tevin Jenkins. All right, well, now we are joined by Scott Wright. He's the football writer for Oklahoma State football uh, for the Oklahoman. Is that how I say it, Scott? Yes. Okay, I just want to know. Sometimes we say things a little different down here in Florida. Um, (laughs) All right, so obviously Tevin Jenkins was highly projected when it was coming from through that offseason into the draft, and a lot of people were saying he could potentially go in in the mid-round, late first round, um, the Bears traded up in the second round to end up getting Tevin Jenkins, and they thought they had a steal. Uh, we were all very excited. The things we saw from Tevin Jenkins in college were just phenomenal. He's big. He's physical. He was strong. It was everything you want to see in an offensive lineman, and the Bears' O-line needed a lot of help, I could say that. So ever since they drafted him, though, Scott, there's been some issues. Obviously, he had a back injury. He had to have surgery pretty quick into camp. We found that out, and he missed the majority of the season last year. But once he came in, he struggled that first game. After that, he played really well against the Vikings. We saw glimpses, and things went well. And now there's some more questions. But I want to start before we get to the personality side of Tevin. I want to start a little bit about the physical aspect um, before we get to the other stuff. So the football. Tevin was able to play both left and right tackle in college, and we've seen a little bit of that with the Bears, too. Where do you think his strongest? he's the strongest out on the field? Uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that he talked a lot about uh, when he was at Oklahoma State was that he was 
a lot more comfortable on the right side. It felt more natural for him uh, with the footwork on that side and the, and and the handwork and all of those things. So um, you know, learning the left side, he knew was important for for the development of of his uh, potential NFL career. Uh, so he understood uh, the, uh, the the potential there, and he understood that it could help the team uh, going into his, uh, his his junior year. So. Um, so he really put a lot of effort into into learning that and getting comfortable on that side. Uh, but the the right tackle side was always more natural for him, and I, uh, uh, you know, it, it seemed like he uh, he excelled a little bit more on that side just because of of the comfort level. So um, you know, I always kind of envisioned him being a, a guy that ended up on that side. Uh, at the uh, at the pro level because of uh, of that comfort and and the ability to uh, to excel a little bit more with his his natural skills so um but obviously uh, a guy with his his size and athletic ability um you know if you, if you can get that guy all at the left tackle side and uh, and and have him excel over there it's uh, it's definitely a, a benefit for your team Scott um kind of moving a, a little bit away from the football stuff but not as much in his time in Oklahoma State how would you say Tevin handled any adversity he had to face whether it was injuries or not being necessarily where on the depth chart he wanted to be uh in terms of you know some things he might be kind of facing right now with the Bears you know that's been uh, that's been an interesting thing for me to watch obviously from afar um seeing uh seeing the way things have, have transpired here early in his career because he was uh he was never a guy that uh that you felt was um you know you know uh, pushing for uh for for something in a negative way um he understood his position coming in uh when he was uh you know a freshman and sophomore trying to to break through the two deep and and uh, was rotating in some uh with starters at times and um you know you saw you saw the uh, the, the work ethic and the desire to be uh, better and uh, and improve himself at, at that point and then uh, and then once he became a uh, a starter um you know you had uh, you did have the time the times when when they looked at moving him to the left side and and, uh, and saw the uh, the the value that he had on the right side and and so he he bounced back and forth but you uh, you never got the sense that uh, that that he was displeased with his with his situation and and obviously you know he was uh he was starting for for the bulk of his of his career at Oklahoma State so it wasn't a uh, uh there wasn't a ton of adversity that uh, that he faced uh beyond uh the injuries that uh, that he did deal with uh particularly in his in his final season at Oklahoma State so um you know for the most part he seemed to uh to uh handle uh understanding his role very well so something that I've kind of really personally kind of sussed out myself, there's just kind of really no actual information on this. It's just kind of a theory I've had. Um, so when Bears started minicamp this year, uh, the fifth-round pick of their, uh, for this year, they picked Braxton Jones out of Southern Utah, uh, and he was actually getting most of the starter reps over Tevin Jenkins. Do you think that's something that he might have taken offense to and might be a reason why he's not as present in camp as he is now, or do you think he's the kind of guy to be out there and being like, I don't care if he's starting over me now. I want to compete and I want to overtake him. Uh, I would have personally expected the latter from from Tevin, based on on what I know about him and his personality and his uh, his drive to compete. Uh, but that being said, I mean, you know, it's been uh, it's been over uh, you know well over a year since I've uh, since I've interacted with him and. Um, you know, when when guys go through the draft process and and you know start you start hearing that you're a a first round guy and and I know that uh, that Tevin was very vocal about his his frustrations about not going in the first round and and wanting to prove himself as as being a first round talent and things like that. So um, you know it's uh, it, it's hard to know what exactly is is motivating a guy, what's uh, what's upsetting a guy, and um, you know so I can I can certainly see that being the source of some of his uh some of his frustrations yeah uh something i feel like and again that's not i it could very well be like an injury situation but as just the big the weird thing with the bears and tevin right now which is there's been very little communication on what the issue is right so it's just kind of a lot of speculation it's on our very end. up in the air right now yes and uh, scott so one of the i want to have a couple questions about just some of the rumors that uh have been floating around in the bears world about tevin but first i want to talk about one more football aspect, because something I really saw last year and Tevin in the short amount that he did play was he, and I said the word physical earlier, but for example, there was a game where Justin Fields got hit late. 
Tevin was the first lineman up. Granted, you don't want to get penalties. He got a penalty here, but he was protecting his quarterback, and he jumped up really quick and was defending Justin after he got this late hit. Um, is that something, not technically the penalty side of it, but just like the, he, he is after his quarterback, he's there to protect his guy. Is that a vibe you've got, you got from Tevin when he was in college? That was something that we actually got to witness develop in him firsthand. When he arrived at Oklahoma State, he was incredibly gifted athletically. And, you know, at the time he was around 6'6 six, six and, and 320. I'm not sure what he's listed at these days, but that's about the size, I think, that I, that I remember him being at uh, from, from the time he arrived on campus. So you, you saw the physical traits that were there, and the thing that was missing early in his career was uh, that, that edge, that, uh, that, that toughness. He was, he was tough, but he, he wasn't aggressively tough. Mm-hmm. And, and he understood, uh, having talked to coaches and, and, and hearing from, uh, from what, uh, what people above him uh, were saying about, about his playing style, he, he realized that he needed to find that edge and, and find that, uh, that extra gear in, in his aggression. And you really saw that develop over his last season, season and a half, uh, to where, you know, there was, uh, uh, you know, a play in his, in his final year at Oklahoma State where, uh, where he takes a, a, a Texas off, uh, defensive lineman and drives him off the field and into the bench on the, on, on the side of Boone Pickett Stadium. And, uh, you know, it almost started a fight in the, on the Texas sideline. But mm-hmm. uh, it, was, uh, it was one of those moments where you realize he had, he had tapped into that part of, uh, of his game and, and that part of his, uh, his person, personality uh, to it was going to take him to the next level, and that's when the the talk of him being a uh, a draft pick and, and eventually a, a potential first round draft pick started to emerge because he had he had added the missing piece to uh, to the the great physical skills, the great athletic skills that he already had. Um, so so those of us who covered him throughout his career got to really witness that develop. Um, you know, to the to the point that uh, you know, uh, my my favorite interview with uh, with Tevin was after his pro day um, uh, uh, appearance here in Stillwater at Oklahoma State, uh, when uh, you know he he got got asked about uh, about that side and and he said that uh, that that he was out to prove that he was the the toughest mf in the in the building and uh, <laughs> and and he and he didn't edit himself but but, there you, uh, go. <laughs> but uh, um, you know that was uh that was the uh, the culmination of, of him just showing uh what he had become on uh in, in that aspect of his game yeah i definitely do remember seeing that highlight specifically when he got very excited i was right. like that's the kind yeah. of guy you want to have in your offensive line and unfortunately it hasn't really gone the way we wanted to be but a lot of that is he hasn't really played yeah so. see and I, i'm rooting for tevin big time and i think the little glimpses what we have seen from college and the glimpses we did have last season i'm really hoping things go in the right direction because just that moment i remember sitting there and justin fields got crushed. I don't know how much Bears football you watched last season, but there were games where he, specifically against the Browns, he got sacked nine times and had 15 QB hits aside from that. He was just getting rocked. So for, and at one point, I was just like, man, someone stick up for this kid, and Tevin was the one to do it. So it was really, really fun to kind of see that progress through the season. But now, Scott, fast-forwarding a little bit, um, some of the things that Dylan was mentioning, the coaching change came, they drafted a new guy, there's been a little weirdness in camp. Um, Larry Borum kind of took over at that right tackle spot. And then now we haven't seen Tevin at camp since everyone's came back. He's missed a week of camp. Um, Eberflus has said little things about an injury, but nothing specifically. Very vague and very weird. So we're not quite sure what's going on. But because of this, trade talks came in. Because of this, rumors started swirling in. So I just want to go over a couple of these and see if it was anything that when you covered him, it was things that stood out because one of the things that people keep saying is football character. And I've heard you a few times in this interview say you didn't really see that a whole ton um, in a negative light, but they were saying some teams reportedly took him off their boards completely because of work ethic, love of the game, desire to be great. Um, They called his toughness fake, some of the guys. Is this something you heard at all during the time that we were looking at the draft? I didn't hear I, I, the the fakeness. I didn't hear um, because of the way that uh, that it developed. I can I can understand maybe where that criticism could come from mm-hmm. um, because, like I said, it was it was completely absent from his game. Um, you know, his his first year as a as a starter at, at Oklahoma State. It was 
it was the uh, the obvious missing piece. Um, so, um, you know, I can uh, I can understand where that would that would come from. You know, how how accurate it is, it's hard for me to say. Um, the things he was doing on the field, it, it certainly seemed um, it, it it didn't seem fake. Um, but um, just in general, his uh, he's he's typically a very quiet guy okay. doesn't uh you know he didn't like dealing with the media a lot and and it wasn't that he was um at odds with the media or anything like that he just didn't like being the guy that was standing there with with the the microphones and the yeah. recorders in his face uh doesn't doesn't typically have a lot to say uh when he is in that situation from uh from his time here uh that's obviously something that can change as a as a you know, a guy goes from from being a 21 year old to a 23, 24 year old, whatever he is now. Um, but um, you know, so it was uh, he was always a tough guy to read. Uh-huh. Uh, but there were never never real concerns about his work ethic while he was here that 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 I ever heard. Um, so that's uh, that's been some of the stuff that's been a little bit surprising to uh, to to hear some of these things floating around um, because you know he was a guy even before. Uh, he was starting. He was a guy that uh, that that the coaches really um, knew had a chance to be something special, and were trying to work him into uh, into a starting role even before he was uh, maybe even before he was ready for one. Um, so uh, it's been a little bit surprising to hear some of those criticisms coming out about him, um, because I know that uh, um, you know he had he left a a pretty significant legacy uh, with guys that are even still here at Oklahoma State. Um, that uh, that learned under him uh, for for his last couple of years, and um, you know the everybody seems to have a very positive opinion about him around here. Uh, coming over a little bit more over to some of the lighter stuff. Uh, when talking about his style of play, I mean, especially when you're in draft season, uh, and that was kind of like really where a lot of Bears fans have the most experience with Tevin was because we didn't get to see him a lot last year. So a lot of our uh, understanding from him came in the draft season. Uh, you hear a lot of these scouts and these talking heads on the media. He's come up with some of the craziest, weirdest terms to describe these players, whether it's like a mauler or like a big old hoss or stuff like that. <laughs> and I want to ask you, would you say that Tevin Jenkins is more of a mauler or a hoss? Ooh, that's, uh, that's a good one. He, uh, I would say he definitely became a mauler. He was, uh, he was probably more of a finesse type of guy earlier in his, in his career. Uh, because he was more athletic than than a lot of the guys that he was going up against, mm-hmm. um, he was just so incredibly athletic and and uh, and strong and quick. Uh, but he uh, he definitely became, I would say, more of a mauler um, as uh, as his as his career developed. So um, you know, it's uh, it's it's an interesting question with him because, like I said, he, it was uh, it was almost like he he was two different people during his, during his time at Oklahoma State in terms of uh, the player that he that he was and the player that he became. So um, I would, uh, I would lean toward more, uh, Mahler more than, uh, more than a hawk. Love to hear I that. Know. I'll, I'll take it. I, <laughs> I think Scott, it's funny because obviously I have never uh, played offensive line in my life. What? And <laughs> I know, I know it may surprise <laughs> some people out there. Um, so it's funny when I'm trying to analyze an offensive lineman, it's probably the hardest position for me to really do that because all I can say is, okay, are you allowing sacks? Are you allowing pressures? Are you causing penalties? And I kind of go around that. So it's really cool to talk to someone like you who kind of may understand that, that aspect a little more than I do. Um, I just want to say thank you so much because I know uh, Oklahoma State camp has kicked off and you are a full go. It's football season, um, so you're busy. So just thanks, Scott, for joining us. And um, we're, we're rooting for Tevin over here. Actually, I do have one more. Or, sorry, no, actually, I do have one more quick question. This is not anything to do with um, Tevin Jenkins, but mm-hmm. more rather the fact that you get to cover Oklahoma State. What is <laughs> the craziest Mike Gundy quote you've ever heard in a press conference? Craziest Mike Gundy quote? Yes. Ooh, that's uh, that's ooh, that's oh man. Um, you know, I'm coming up on my uh, my seventh season covering uh, covering Mike Gundy, um, and it's been uh, there's been a lot. Of, uh, of of really interesting stuff. Probably the one, the one during my time. Um, you know, I wasn't I wasn't there for I'm a man I'm forty. Oh, that's my uh, favorite one. <laughs> I love it right. so much. I, I wasn't I wasn't there for that. Um, there was a, a few years ago though. He uh, he got on a roll of uh, of just uh, responding 
to, especially if you brought up anything about like fans or outside expectations or any of that, responding with, by just making a fart noise. Oh my god! And uh, <laughs> that that became uh, a little bit of a uh, of a running gag throughout uh, throughout that season. And that was uh, that's probably the one that that sticks out from my time. Uh, during the uh, the Gundy era, For, unfortunately, I did I missed out on some of the uh, the really great ones, like I'm a man on forty and, and some of the others. I hope he stays at Oklahoma State the rest Forever. of his life. Just yeah, so we he, can hear he those, Oklahoma State. Hear those one-liners. Yeah. We've had some um, interesting football uh, quotes from coaches around here, as Urban Meyer was the coach last season, and that went very awfully. But um, <laughs> in, as in Jacksonville. But anyways, again, thanks, Scott, and good luck this season. Uh, we're rooting for Tevin, and we'll root for you just because you joined us, and now we appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you very much. I really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, to visit with me. All yeah. right. Thanks so much. Thanks for coming on. All right, Dylan. Well, that was fun to talk to Scott Wright, but it made me even more confused. Yes, than what I agree. And what I was um, because he has a very, very high uh, high thoughts of what Tevin is on and off the field. And you heard him several times in this say he not that it didn't make sense, but to him, it just it, it didn't click all the way. To him, yeah. Tevin, he used the word legacy at Oklahoma State University, and he's saying that to, like, what coaches feel about him, what the players that are there now that were behind Tevin the last few years, how they feel about him. So it's really odd to me. It, it makes it even more confusing. Yeah, and I will say something that I kind of really noticed that I thought was interesting was when I asked him about how the adversity he had faced in college, he said, he hadn't really faced much. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's like, yeah, he's had injuries here and there. And yeah, when he first got here, he wasn't a starter right away. But yeah. like for the majority of his career, he was a starter. And now he's come to the Bears. There's been some injury problems. There's been some concerns of whether or not he's going to be a starter. Mm-hmm. And now he's not a camp. Yeah. And so it's just like, yeah. Is this the first real test of adversity and he's failing? Yeah. And like maturity, I feel like was kind of a concern with his, mm-hmm. you know, and there was, he was at one point, you know, he still has looked at someone as who is a very high ceiling player. Yeah. Like, even in a lot of the reports we're seeing, like, I think we're at the party the other day is like, players are still, players or teams want to trade for him because he is a player that has a very high ceiling still. Yeah. And like, obviously, there's all these other things that play into it, but like, it's just, I think he, I mean, like, again, this is just my theory, but like, I'm just convinced myself that I feel like he thinks he hasn't gotten a fair shake. Mm-hmm. And, that kind of whether it's for the coaching staff or the front office, whatever, whatever it is, I feel like he thinks that he has been put in a position where he could succeed. Yeah, and that's why he's not there. Which, and I think right now, when you try to see all of the pieces and fit them together, they don't all fit together. But that's the only thing that kind of makes any sort of sense. But it, it and I think that's a good point when you said when you talked about that adversity because there's two things that popped out to me, and the one was that the one was. He never really had to deal with a position battle. He never had that. And he said maybe when I think his freshman year or whatever, yeah, but, but that's normal. Yeah. You're coming in and you're not expected to be a starter. Yeah. But it sounds like he was expecting to be a starter the rest of his college career. And he was and he never really had a battle for that other than injuries. But that's different because last year it was an injury and he kind of he worked like you didn't notice anything bad out of the injury side of it. He worked through that when he came back. He he was there. First game struggled, next game, you were like, okay, this is Tevin. He he didn't let the injury knock him down and make him feel like you're taking a step back. So that's I think that's definitely that's definitely something to point out. That yeah. this could potentially be one of the first times that he's really had to had a true position battle. And not only a position battle, but someone who was drafted after him, someone who was drafted later than him. And a he lot went to of, a school that's way smaller than the school he went to. Yes. Like and, Southern Utah and Oklahoma State are not even comparable. It's pretty much like it's not even remotely close to the same level of talent and all of that. And like he's being outplayed by him right yes, now. Yes. And I'm sure that's frustrating, but we got to handle yeah. that a little better, Tevin, if that is what's going on. Um, another thing, real quick, before we talk to Aaron Fernandez, another thing that pointed out, he kind of talked about the process that and how he watched Tevin through the years that he was covering him at Oklahoma State. And he said at the beginning how much he changed from being that more like not so aggressive player to being that aggressive player. And he's talked about how cool it was to watch that. And I think that we saw that on the Bears last season. So it's kind of cool to hear that he wasn't that. He's not that. He wasn't that super aggressive, want to talk to media, I'm here, look at me type of player. So that could be playing a factor into this too. He's getting a lot of immediate attention right now. There's a lot of things focused on him. There's position battles going on. There's new coaching regime. He's coming off an injury. There's a lot of things going on. And Tevin seems to be more like sit and like, 
I'll do what I need to do, but I'm going to sit back here because I don't want to be in the limelight and do it, um, which could play a factor in some of these things that are going on. Yeah, very but, mu- I very much agree that. Uh, so one of the guys that we're talking about that he was potentially battling but ended up not having to battle because he hasn't been at camp is Braxton Jones. Yes. Bra- um, Braxton Jones has been just on point. Um, everything we've heard through this entire camp, and we heard it in minicamp, we heard it in OTAs, and we were all a little surprised. We were kind of like, wow, this name's coming out of nowhere because we kind of thought certain pieces of the the line were set in the fact of, like, we already thought we knew which battles were going to happen. And then they went and they signed Riley Reef and they went and signed Showfield, and we're like, okay, well, the line's pretty much set. The only real battle now is at right, right tackle, which we thought was going to be te- between Tevin and Larry Borum. Uh, I don't know, because now you know where Braxton was? Oh, sorry, and Braxton. Those three were kind of going to be that right tackle guy. Uh, but you know where Braxton is now? Playing one with the ones, getting all the one reps at left tackle. Yeah. They moved Riley Reef over to right tackle, and Braxton Jones has been taking all of the one for two practices straight with the pads. Yeah, I'm, it's an exciting thing. You would love you love to hit on these players late in the draft, and when we talked to his offensive line coach, it seemed like he's very excited about what he could be in you know going forward. Yes, so uh, let's go ahead and jump into that interview. That is with Aaron Fernandez. He's the O-line coach for Southern Utah. He coached Braxton Jones his entire career in college. He also, what you hear in this, recruited Braxton Jones. So it, it's a lot of really cool things that we got uh, from Coach Fernandez. All right, well, now we are joined by Aaron Fernandez. He's the offensive line coach for Southern Utah. If that does or does not sound familiar to you, that is where Braxton Jones went. And Braxton Jones is a big name right now in Bears camp because during many camps, during OTAs, we heard a lot of very high remarks when it came to Braxton. And now for two days straight, he's been taking all number one reps at left tackle, which is pretty wild because they actually signed a veteran left tackle not that long ago. And um, to try to try to help that offensive line, and Braxton's playing those left tackle reps right now. Um, so, Aaron, thank you so much, Coach, Coach Fernandez. Thank you so much for joining us because we're super excited to just get to know Braxton a little bit, um, a little bit more on this football team. Yeah, no, no. Thanks for having me. I appreciate your guys' time, and um, no, I'm I'm always uh, excited and uh, willing to talk about some Braxton. He's one of my favorite persons on this earth. Um, been with him a long time, was with him his entire career, uh, recruited him. Um, so me and him have had kind of had, had the whole uh, the whole career and story together. So it's been uh, it's been awesome to see him um, jump in there and, and have some uh, early success. Um, I know I, I can attribute that to, to the way he prepares and and how hard he works at the craft. So no, it's exciting to see. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. You said you helped recruit Braxton over there to Southern Utah. And so for someone like me, um, I it, it's very hard for me to grade offensive line players. That position's just so hard because there's not as many numbers to look at. Every other position, right. pretty much on the football field, you have statistical numbers that you can point to. And with the O-line, you do have sacks and you have pressures and you have you know penalties and things like that. But when you are recruiting a player and when you were recruiting Braxton, what did you see that made you want to get him to come play for your football team? I think he checked enough boxes um, in the sense of, you know, he was, he was big, he was long, he had those physical traits. Um, you saw him on his high school football tape. You could see that it was a big body that can run and move. He was, um, you know, raw in the technical aspect of offensive line and kind of some of the understanding. He went to a high school that traditionally doesn't win a ton of football games. Um, I knew the head coach there personally, so that's why I stopped by and, and, and kind of known about a little bit about Braxton. Um, but that's what I saw. I saw. I saw. I had a vision, you know, and when we recruited him and our coaching staff recruiting him, uh, we had a vision that this guy, if he really put in the work, the time in the weight room, um, as we started to get to know him in the recruiting process, we could tell he had a very good head on his shoulders. Mom did a fantastic job with him. So he was very mature, even as a young, young uh, individual. And so we felt like uh, he checked those athletic boxes and we felt that, you know, with um, some good, you know, uh, coaching and the ability to like come into a program and pour, uh, pour into the weight room and develop, we, we thought we could have a real special player. And, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I mean, he really has really impressed all of us Bear fans so far. Um, something about Braxton that I really wanted to get to know is, so Coming in, uh, since he's coming to the Bears, really all he's really done is overachieved to the point where a lot of Bears fans are really surprised that he's been so prevalent so far in their starting starting rotation for the offensive line. 
Is that something that surprised you that he's immediately competing with guys who are veterans or a guy who was picked three rounds ahead of him in the year prior? Right. You know, I think, yeah, I, you know, naturally I think that is, it's a little surprising. I'll just say this. And I heard him say it the other day and it made me smile because he said it to me multiple times um, from the jump. Braxton would say something like in, in the sense that, or the, or uh, I want to be the best at what I do. I mean, he would say that from like a very young age coach, you know, he was very, um, acceptance to being coached hard and developing and constructive criticism because I think he always had that mindset. I want to be the best at what I do. I want to compete. I want to learn. Um, I think that's why, you know, maybe be a little surprising um, and, and a little bit, um, you know, just kind of excited that, man, he's getting in there earlier than maybe some of us anticipated. But knowing him and knowing his mindset, knowing how he prepares and knowing that from since I've known him, he's wanted to be an tackle in the NFL, um, I, I, I could see why he's having some early success. Uh, so for obviously, as you just said, that tackle position is his. And I know in college he played a ton of left tackle. I think there was a little bit of right tackle sprinkled in there. Yep. One of the things where yep. the Bears are right now is in a lot of question marks. So Eberflus, uh, the head coach for the Bears, is really shuffling these guys around because he's trying to figure out where everybody clicks and where they're playing at their highest potential, which is obviously what you want an offensive line when you're protect, uh, protecting your quarterback, which I don't know if you watched much of the Bears last season, but it was not pretty. Um, so if right. you uh, would you be confident that he would be able to be a little bit versatile and play that left or right tackle if he was asked to? I, I think he can. Like you mentioned, he had a little bit of experience early on in his career. On the right side, we had an established left tackle when he was a freshman and sophomore. So he did play on the right side a little bit. Um, he also had a game in college. He played guard. Um, and so, you know, just again, I think, again, um, Braxton does a really good job of seeing the game whole. Um, not just kind of, you know, in, in the phone booth and just seeing what's in front of him. He, he's a very cerebral guy. Um, so I don't think he would have um, a hard time, um, you know, maybe being a right side player or left side player or left side player for three games and they needed him at right side this game. I think he has that ability because he, he's just a cerebral guy. He's a cerebral. He, he really understands football. He could tell you and get on the board and talk about football on all three levels from the safeties down to a defense. So that's why I, I think he could have success um, playing on either side. And I think that's important. The vision of the whole field is what you want to hear an offensive lineman can be able to do because sometimes you just don't get that full package from them. And you mentioned a minute right. ago he played a game um, as guard. So to me, that's always been very it, – it's so interesting to me because when I'm trying to figure out, you know, where these guys could finally land, it, it's that part confuses me a little bit. So what does it take for one of those tackles? Is it, a, is, is it a certain aspect of the game that can make them be able to play guard? Is it a certain body type? What is it that makes a player be able to play that tackle and guard position? I mean, I think, yeah, if you check some marks in the body type, that obviously helps. But I think it's more just like when you prepare, there's some guys that learn the plays just from one position. Like, I just got to learn what I do on this play. This is what I got on this play, on this protection. I know that I just have the, you know, and then for, and I think that's different in the way Braxton was taught to prepare and how he's really honed in on to prepare is um, he looks at the game from a hole. So if he draws a play up, he knows what the center does. He knows what the guard does. He knows what the calls are that they make. Even though it might not include him, he knows the whole picture. And I think that's where you get a guy. Usually when you see a guy that can move around and play multiple positions, it's because he understands the scheme. He understands the objectives from the whole uh, um, scenario compared to just that position. So I think that's where Braxton's a little ahead of the game. So, Coach, you've clearly had a very good relationship with Braxton for quite a while now. And something I was wondering is, um, at this point in his career, do you think this is um, a place that you saw him getting to, or do you think this is kind of really blown your expectations away so far? No, man, we talked about it a lot. We talked about it a lot um, through the process. I, I think we had a clear understanding that if he took care of business and always tried to stay green and grow and develop, he would be in a place to be able to play tackle in the NFL. Um, so that's not surprising to me. Um, and it won't be surprising to me um, that he has sustained success. And I don't think he'll be, uh, you know, in a sense, a one-hit wonder or anything like that um, because I just think he, he has such a good head on his shoulders and uh, his ability to prepare and his ability to self-scout and be real uh, understanding of things he has to get better at. I think he's really good in those realms. So it does not surprise me that he's there. It doesn't.
Yeah, and then touching again on that really long relationship you've had, a lot of Bears fans, um, they didn't really, they hadn't really heard of Braxton until he got drafted to the Bears, and even those Bears fans didn't really know who he was because he was a fifth rounder. You've known him for quite a while. How would you describe Braxton as just a person? Um, number one, uh, just a fantastic human being, uh, caring. Um, he, you know, like I said, uh, his mom did a fantastic job with him. He comes from, you know, good background growing up in the sense of how he was raised. Um, you know, good personality, smiles, a great smile. You know, for you know, he's not going to be the loudest guy in the room ever. He's not really in that sense that type of personality. But, um, you know, I think people naturally uh, gravitate towards him. And I think naturally kind of has this aura about him that uh, people just kind of understand and sense of, uh, you know, they, I think they see that this guy wants to grow. I knew when he got to the NFL, he was going to be like a kid in the candy store and trying to pick vets brains and talk to vets and develop relationships. And I, I told him that's the best thing you can do and the best route you can do. And that's how you develop that competition and um, how you learn. So, um, you know, he, he's just a good human being. I can't say that enough. I really can't. And, um, you know, I think the Bears got a good one for sure. Well, I'm pretty excited to have him on my favorite football team, but he's kind of that great of a guy. So. I know. That's exactly what I want to hear. So, obviously, Coach Fernandez, Braxton has size. He has strength. We know, we've seen that. We've, if you've watched any tape of him from college as he went through kind of the process before the draft, you were hearing that a ton. A few of the things, a few of the small critiques people had were maybe more on the technique side. So how much mm-hmm. when you're working with an offensive lineman is that any issues with te- technique on them personally or is it a little bit more on the coaching side and what they're getting from their coaches? You know, it's it's probably, you know, I would say it's always, you know, you're probably mirroring a little bit of both. Um, every coach is going to have different ways they teach, different toolboxes they teach from. Um, and so, you know, I think there's some natural things and even things we hit on really hard that we were trying to develop and, and tune in because we knew it would have to get better when he, when he got to the next level. Um, tighter hands, a um, little bit tighter in his strike details, some of those things, playing with a little bit of a better base at times. I think that's coming into his own as he continues to grow into his body. Something that some, you know, some people don't understand when Braxton Jones came out of high school, um, he was barely 270 pounds, you know, Uh, when he played a San Jose state game um, this past season, he was 320. So you talk about a real, real, real career of developing and growing into your body and, and strength. So I think as that came along, you saw him play with a better base. You saw him play with his feet and his hips underneath him a little bit better. Um, I've heard him speak in a couple of interviews now, just like really honing in on keeping his strikes tighter. Those are something we, we, we worked on a lot here too for him to develop. I think through his career, you saw him grow and change that. And now he's got to take it to a new level. These are all really exciting things, honestly. I'm, <laughs> know, I'm really, I'm really enjoying to hear all this stuff. I mean, Braxton, uh, he seems just kind of like a player that you really want to have on your team. You've been at your current position or you've been at your current school for 14 or going into your 14th season now. Where would you say Braxton yep. ranks in terms of the talents that you've had the chance to see so far? Um, he's number one for me. He, he's the best talent I've I've ever coached. That's what I love uh, to hear. Southern Utah, in, <laughs> yeah. Southern Utah in general, we've had some really good players here. We've had a string of NFL players. Um, I've had you know a handful of offensive linemen that you know have got a shot in the NFL. Um, none none drafted or anything, and he's. He's by far or close to one of the best talents that ever come through Southern Utah so far, for sure. Yeah, and I think even that that fifth round, I was seeing mock drafts where he was landing in like third, fourth. So when I when we got him in the fifth, I was excited, and I came back and I was talking to all the people who want to talk draft talk with me about how well I think Ryan Poles did draft because he got some of the guys that you were seeing ranked a little bit higher in some of the mocks at really good spots, and he turned no picks into 11 picks. And so it was a really good draft for the Bears. But I want to ask you a few questions when it comes down to the offensive line. Like, uh, as I said, it, it gets a little confusing for me sometimes when I'm really understanding um, just s- whether it's a critique or whether it's a compliment. So one of the things that were on his pro day chart that were kind of highlighted as good things, um, one says he expedites inside slide to capture the gap. What exactly does that tell me? Um, I think what they're referring to there is in a sense like when a, a player goes inside on him or tries to take the inside route, um, he does a good job flattening that off and expediting compared to letting the guy get vertical and beating him inside. He does a really good job with that. And that's partly what I kind of touched on in the sense of as he grow and really develop in his own, 
he played with such a better base. Now, I know that was still some of his critique, but it really changed in his career. So um, that's what I would think they're alluding to. Okay, and what about outside hand is firm? So he does a pretty good job with his strike placement. Usually, for the most part, they try to, you know, you try to teach, like, let's say a tackle. Uh, he's a left tackle, and he's getting an edge rush. You try not to put your outside hand on the middle of him. That, that usually creates a soft edge. He does a pretty good job getting that outside hand to that outside armpit peck area, and he's very firm, and that creates a pretty, you know, extensive kind of harder, uh, firmer edge compared to if the hand was shorter. Yeah, as people who definitely aren't as involved as football as you or Braxton are, that scout talk just sounds like a different language to us. <laughs> so I was reading so. this, and I was like, I'm glad there's a lot of positive things under um, this pro day list that they had. His, um, But one more for you. So this one says, good job of staying square, longer, and pass sets. Yeah, I think that's just kind of uh, the key to any good pass protector is to stay square uh, with your hips and, and try to cover a guy up with your hips as long as you can. Um, usually you develop some issues when somebody's working your edge and you drop that outside hit. That's called gating, you know, kind of opening the gate and creating a soft edge. Braxton developed it as he kind of came. I thought he does, did a really good job of, of maintaining that, that edge and, and, and staying square as long as you can. At some point you're going to turn, but yeah. staying square as long as you can is definitely important. Okay, Coach. So something I've always wanted to know is, what would you say are the qualities that a left tackle needs to have to really make it in the NFL, you'd say? Um, first, he needs to have mental capacity, understanding to have a good mental outlook, a cerebral outlook on the entire um, offense. Um, he also needs to have uh, some comfort being in space. You know, naturally as a tackle, you're going to deal a lot more space, space than the other offensive linemen. Um, so I think it just kind of starts there. You've got, you got, you got to be smart. They're going to ask you to do a lot at that, those positions on the edge. Um, you know, you're going to have to uh, obviously get a grasp of the playbook from inside out. Um, and then also I think you're going to always ask tackles to be able to block in uh, second levels and third levels and be athletic and, and take space up. Um, and then at the end of the day, too, I think it's too – you just got to be uh, – you got to kind of have be a jack of all trades. And, you know, you got to be able to protect the quarterback. You got to be able to provide width to the pocket. Um, but you also got to expand edges in the run game and widen the B gap out and things like that. So uh, I think that's kind of the overall package you're looking for. Um, you definitely got to, as any offensive lineman, got to be smart. You got to know what you're doing, especially on the edge. It comes with angles and um, leverage points and some of those things. So probably got a little winded with that answer, but that's kind of the package I'm <laughs> hey, looking something, for. Hey, it's something you're clearly passionate about, yeah. and I love hearing passionate people talk about things they're passionate about. So go uh, on as long as you want. Yeah. Um, no, I no, that's. I have one more for you, Coach Fernandez, and t uh, while we let you go, so we're not holding you too long. I know you have a a, a very busy August coming up before kickoff. So, uh, I, I when you think about left tackles, right tackles, and let's even say ten, fifteen years ago, that left tackle position just seemed so important, especially for right-handed quarterbacks. But because you, right. it's that blind side, and you just you you need that to be the important thing. But now you've noticed so many quarterbacks, and especially here in Chicago, Justin Fields a mobile quarterback, so he's moving, and hopefully they are scheme they're scheming him out of the pocket a lot of times. Does that take a little bit of the pressure off the left tackle sometimes, and a little more on the right tackle, and kind of switch things up a little more than they used to be? Yeah, I know. I do think it's kind of becoming a little bit more mirrored. I think just in general. Um, when you see good offenses operating, they're not always putting the quarterback at the same launch point. And, and maybe that was the case a little bit more uh, in football um, back in the day and not saying they didn't do that then either. I just think that you see it's more prevalent now. And I think that's why it's not so much of the left tackle and the right tackle thing anymore. I think offenses are doing such a good job of, yes, drop back, but also better play action protections, um, getting the quarterback out on the different edges, whether that's right, left. So I, I just think offenses in general are doing a good job of scheming up and, and, and changing the quarterback's launch point so much, or you got to be good on both edges. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, that's kind of where I see the game has kind of really evolved to uh, where it's not so much the stigma of like left tackle, right tackle. It's like, we got to find edge players. Yeah. Um, usually you look at the NFL and um, you know, quarterbacks, defensive ends, offensive tackles, and you start to kind of go from there when you look at teams drafting and things like that. So 
whether it's the the right tackle or the left tackle, you've got to be good on the edge because teams are going to have good pass rushers and the best defenses in the league are going to have a pass rusher on the right and a pass rusher on the left. Yeah, and that's what we so, saw last year. They're coming from all angles, and yeah. <laughs> it comes fast. They are. Uh, <laughs> they are. All right, well, Coach Fernandez, thank you so much for joining us. Honestly, good luck uh, this season, and good luck this month getting getting all prepared. No, thanks, Taylor. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, this was awesome. I, I really enjoyed talking about Braxton, number one, just talking football in general. And, um, yeah, I know. Thank you guys. And, Go Bears and go T-Birds. Hey, Love having you on. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your time, guys. Have a good one. You You too. too. All right. Well, that was Coach Fernandez. He was awesome. He taught me some things because – and I I don't want to sound like I don't have any idea what I'm talking about, but really when I'm reading some of these scouting reports, I'm like, I have no idea what any of that means. And when I was looking at Braxton Jones, there was a lot of of wording in there that I was just like, okay – I'm guessing that's good because it's it's in the positive side of things. They had a decent list of negatives, but when I mentioned that to Coach Fernandez when it came to, like, technique stuff, he mentioned in this interview that he he saw him get a lot better in his last two seasons when it comes to all of the technique, which were his biggest critiques. Yeah, I mean, I think it was very encouraging things to hear from him. I mean, Braxton just seems like a great kid, and, like, he's not one of those guys that really wants all the attention on himself, but, like, he's been getting quite a bit of it recently, but, like, with good reason, you know? And it's exciting to see that, like, our offensive line has been just a pit of despair Mm -hmm. for quite a while now, and to see actually something positive from coming from it would be great. And, you know, maybe these could be the building blocks of what could be a great offensive line, because when Ryan Pulse was hired, offensive and defensive lines were supposed to be his main focus. And mm-hmm. He tried to side defensive linemen in the offseason. Didn't work out. Yeah. And, you know, he's always managed to draft a bunch of offensive linemen in the draft. So we'll have to see how these guys end up turning out. But Braxton has been very encouraging so far. Yeah, and I, I think it's fun to just see how kind of all of this is unraveling. It's It was interesting to hear Coach Fernandez said that he was even shocked at how quickly he's kind of catching on to the NFL. Yeah. And that is – Funny because I feel like most coaches would kind of like fib about it and be like, "No, I knew he was going to be." I always knew he was going to be the guy. This when I saw him in high school, I was like, "That's a Hall of Fame left tackle right there." So I like the honesty. He did mention in there also though that they've talked about the NFL, and he also mentioned that he's the best player that he's personally coached on the offensive line. Um, As I I was kind of just glancing through the Southern Utah drafts and who's been drafted, and they've only had four players drafted out of Southern Utah, and. Braxton Jones was obviously 2022 and 2016. They had two guys come out. It was a two defensive backs, and then they had a quarterback in 2013 and Brad Sorensen. Oh yeah, yeah. So um, there, there's not a whole lot of guys, and it's it's a smaller school, so obviously it's not one of, in one of the big conferences, and you're not hearing them talked about. So you would expect that, um, but to really look at that list, so obviously for him, this is a guy that is re- like really propelled himself past a lot of things that could have possibly held him back. Yeah, and I, I think uh, uh, Coach Fernandez touched on in his uh, interview that the high school he came from wasn't a good high school. Yeah, he's had like, not talent. really good football. Sport. And, like, honestly, that probably was a great thing for him because, mm-hmm. like, there weren't all the scouts there going to watch. But he was able to see he had a personal relationship with the coach and yes. he saw a talent and it identified it and really nurtured it into the player he is today. Yeah, so. and obviously from that, too, going from a high school that really struggled playing football and winning football games and going to college and playing football, you're battling for a spot. And he came to the NFL and was like, I'm battling for the spot, but I'm going to win. Like, I want to be the future left tackle. And he's proving that he has what it takes to be the – Future left tackle. Yeah, so I mean, he's without a doubt playing against the best athletes he's ever placed in his entire life. And yeah. it's like not even close. And he's yeah. holding his own. So, like, it's encouraging. Because I heard today he was, most of his reps he was taking, like I said, they were all ones um, in that, with the ones. He was going against Robert Quinn and Muhammad, who have been having stellar camps. And he was battling them like an NFL would battle another NFL player. So, that's really good to hear. Some of the other things um, as we start to wrap this up that we've heard about the offensive line, um, it's, it's, very obvious right now that Iberflus is not done experimenting. Iberflus is a defensive guy, um, so it's interesting to me, and I think that maybe he's taking – I'm sure he's taking everything that Luke Getzky and Chris Morgan and everybody's saying, and he's – but he wants to see for himself which five guys are out there that are the best five guys. Um, and so you can tell he's kind of testing some of these guys. He's pushing certain people to the limits. He's moving them around in positions they don't normally play, which I think that's why I was asking Coach Fernandez, just or I was asking um, Scott Wright, I think it was, or 
I can't remember which one I asked. I asked one of them which one, like how easy it is to move from those positions because it looks like Eberflus is going to kind of do what Eberflus wants to do, and some of those guys are not going to be in their prominent, this is what I played majority of college type of position. Um, so some of the things that happened, obviously, this last couple of days as pads went on, uh, we've seen more young guys, which that's what we're here for is to talk about the, Love it. the young guys. Uh, Judd Tyree Carter has been taking some some time at right guard. Doug Kramer, he's replaced Lucas Patrick. The Illinois for boy. Now. Yes. Hint, uh, the pride of Hinsdale, Illinois. <laughs> he's replaced Lucas Patrick. Obviously, Lucas Patrick had a finger injury. Uh, I haven't really heard yet when he'll be back I, I by the season start. Yeah, I was seeing that the initial expectation was he would be back at the end of training camp, at the preseason, or like, maybe miss a game but like yeah. honestly like yeah you would really want him in there but like i'm kind of excited to see what doug kramer's gonna do yeah you and know I, he's I, definitely a guy that like at this point like lucas patrick's 29 mm-hmm. he's not exactly young we only sent him to two-year contract so like at some point we're gonna have to address the center position long term maybe he could be an answer so yeah. we're definitely gonna see a lot of him in the preseason so. and, I, and i like that because it gives us the it gives us a glimpse at really what we have depth so the more we see of doug kramer and especially if it goes into a game or two in the regular season God forbid injuries. Injuries have already happened, obviously. So yeah. if they happen during the season, we know Doug Kramer has the potential to come in and play because he's had a lot of time with the ones now. Yeah, not um, to mention that he gets to uh, he's being a center. He's got to develop a relationship with Justin. Yes. And like it isn't like as silly as it sounds like it is important to have a good relationship with your center because oh fumbled snaps are like a huge <laughs> problem. And or like, when they fly over the head. Not to mention I saw like <laughs> there, there was that tweet. I don't know who the center was when this happened. But I saw that tweet where it's just like. It was like the Bears' first goal line, a red zone uh, play of the day, like fumbled snap, like Mm -hmm. just completely. They had two really bad back-to-back ones. I saw that, and then they scored pretty, like pretty quickly. The next few ones, yeah. So there has been some negatives in camp, not all good stuff. Which we're gonna expect that it's so early, and like we cannot say that we're expecting these guys who, ton of young guys. The ones that aren't young guys are new to the football team. The coaches are new. It's They've had two days of padded practice. There is going to be some hiccups here. Yeah. If they were coming out and playing like everything was clicking and meshing automatically, I'd be like, something weird's happening. Because I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd be a little excited. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, all right. But also with that Lucas Patrick and Doug Kramer com- uh, kind of battle, we could possibly see it. Mustafer will be in there. Mustafer, yeah. um, he he could be a guy that might possibly push Kramer a little bit for Lucas Patrick's job until he gets back, um, until he returns. Zachary Taylor, Thomas. Taylor, don't say anything too bad about Mustafer or those Olin Kurtz. I know that's. Watch I do out. not want to. Watch out! I do not want to. Watch get out! You're going to go into a locker. Olin. Olin. You're going to go into a locker. That's Mustafer's guy, and I mean that's Olin's guy, and Mustafer is on going into year three. Mustafer is young too, and the former regime was very, very, very high on Mustafer. They yeah. loved. Sam yeah. Mustafer. I mean, I don't think he's bad. I don't either. Like, I just he's don't a good know if guard. He's, he's a good depth guard. For or, sure. Yeah, but like long term, a yeah. center and a guard, like, I don't know about that. Yeah, I'm not sure either. So, Zachary Thomas, uh, he is Whitehair's backup at left guard. Yeah. Um, so, that's pretty much his place right now. He's been playing all his reps right there, pretty much. We saw a mix up, though, recently, as I was saying, when the pads came on. Riley Reef moved over to right tackle, and Braxton was at left, where Riley Reef split right tackle. With Larry Borum. So this is the first time not only that Riley Reef hasn't played full one reps at left tackle, but also the first time that Larry Borum hasn't had that full right tackle one reps by himself. Yeah, I mean, I did say Larry, he was good last year, but I definitely wouldn't say he locked himself into a starting position by any means, especially with a you know, veteran camp. And like, but also at the same time, like Riley Reef, would you say, would you think he's a guaranteed to be on this team as a starter? Uh, I think so. You think so? I yeah. Th- I think, I mean, I've, I don't know. That's that, hard that's now because thing, Braxton's like, playing so Braxton's well. Braxton's been playing so well. And, and I wasn't like Larry expecting Borum, that. And like, that's something I wasn't expecting either. Yeah. And like, at the same time, it's just like the contract they signed weren't in- incredibly crazy or yeah. anything. And like, Riley Reef is hardly a guy that's just like, I'm going to stop my uh, young, productive left tackle or right tackle from playing for Yeah. It. You know, so like. Here's my thing. If, if Riley Reef is cool with potentially being the depth guy. Um, he's in what he's in year eleven. Yeah, he's I mean, been he's, in the NFL for a long time. Yeah. He's a veteran. He has experience. He, but if Braxton wins that job at left tackle, and now our our position battle is again at right tackle, which I feel like has just hovered that right tackle. We don't know what's going on with Tevin. So Tevin could potentially not be here. Whether he's traded, whether he's not playing, whether he sits out, whether he's injured, whatever the situation is going on. So I would want them to keep. Riley Reef because I would want yeah. to have that Riley Reef Larry Borum just to make sure in case of injury in case one of them does beat out the other whatever the case may be I would want that veteran to be able to come in there and have 
him be able to play right or left. Yeah, I, I definitely do agree with you on that. And, like, I do think having a veteran presence on the offensive line is good, especially when it is so young. And, yeah. like, you do have guys like Cody Whitehair, but, like, yeah. he is and one— And Schofield's yeah, like, uh, guard, but that's at, at the tackle position. Yeah, I mean, we just had so many young offensive linemen come into this team. Like, we need people who can teach them the ropes. Yeah. So, like, it's important to have that kind of thing. It's a little scary to me going into the season with a Tevin Jenkins who's kind of just a little off the rail right now and Larry Borum and Braxton Jones that much young and not having any veteran presence at the tackle position would scare me a little bit i'd have to agree with that um but i mean like i said Eberflus has definitely not made up he is testing all of the waters he's figuring out which where to place these guys and like very particularly at, at this point are you still operating with the assumption that heaven's going to be there uh, i am right now i'm giving myself just because i'm going by what Eberflus is yeah. saying and I, i'm gonna be honest i'm operating with the assumption i think it's to be gone gone yeah i i at this point like because really, as I kind of said earlier, like Ryan Poles, I feel like there isn't, I've never seen one positive thing that Ryan Poles being like, Tevin Jenkins, that's mm-hmm. my guy. Like, yeah. not one thing. And like, I'm not saying that like he just, just because he didn't draft him, he's like, like Justin Fields has been like, reportedly being like blowing away the new front office, mm-hmm. blowing away the coaching staff. So like, just, he doesn't have to have to draft the guy yeah. for him to like him. Yeah. So like, I, I think there's conversations being had. Yeah, I mean, and like, I, they've been reported on by like some pretty credible people. And yeah. like, obviously, not everything they say is correct, but like, there's been enough smoke to where it's just like there's probably at least a little time. There's fire. something. Yeah. And that's what I mentioned earlier. I heard a lot of it was with more of Chris Morgan, not Eberflus, not Poles. Yeah. But um, so that's that's interesting to me. And Chris Morgan's won two Super Bowls. Chris Morgan was the offensive line coach, I think assistant offensive line coach in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh's had a pretty decent offensive line. They've struggled a few years in between, but for the most part, Pittsburgh has they have to protect Ben Roethlisberger because he can't couldn't run. Well, now um, they got a mobile quarterback in Mitch Trubisky, <laughs> so they'll be go. okay. So. so they'll be all right back there. Um, yeah, but I don't know. This is it's very interesting. Tevin stuff's confusing. Braxton stuff is exciting. I've never talked so much about the offensive line in my entire life, but it's so important. We realized last year we saw it with Joe Burrow. We saw Joe Burrow almost get murdered behind his offensive line. Then they didn't do much, but they went and got Jamar Chase. And people were like, what are you doing? You need to fix your offensive line. He still almost got killed the entire season, but they went to the Super Bowl. So do we need a top three, top five offensive line this season for the Chicago Bears to be successful? No, I don't think so. It would definitely help. It would yeah. it'd be better, but yeah, yeah. Like we just saw no, yeah. it with Joe Burrow. He I did agree. not have a top offensive line. They went yeah. to the Super Bowl. And, like and I, we're not even close yes. to two Super Bowl talks. We're talking yeah. about winning eight, nine games. Can we win eight, nine games with this offensive line? Yes, I think so. And I, I'd say, I will say, like, with the strength of our schedule, like, it really is way different than last year. Yes. It is drastically easy. Honestly, isn't it, like, the easiest, if not, like, one of the easiest in the entire NFL? I remember seeing that I saw somewhere. we have, like, the the easiest stretch of like quarterbacks at one point yeah and so it's just like it's it wouldn't surprise me if we're not as terrible as everyone thinks we're gonna be yeah but like it also wouldn't surprise me if we're terrible yeah so like you know it could kind of really go either way and like i don't know the thing with the the, and like kind of kind of go a little bit off track just i'm i apologize this isn't completely offensive line related but i like (laughs) to say like i've been incredibly encouraged about the defensive back so far yes that's just something just a very 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 quick note i wanted to make yes like Juan Brisker and Kyle Gore in particular, We've very heard a impressive. Lot of good things. Jalen Johnson's left both of them so far, so like I'm excited for the defensive backs. Episode. Yes, that's all I want to say. Which and that's what I was about to say. So obviously with ours, we're going to kind of move through these position groups the next few weeks through the preseason leading up to the first game. Once we get to the first game, uh, once we get to, once football season officially starts, we're going to really really focus in on one guy an episode and in depth and whether that be a person that sucked last week or was really good last week, whatever. We'll, Ideally we'll good. Out. Yeah, hopefully <laughs> we're talking about the good players. Only good um, things. But through camp, we're going to talk about the position group. So we do have defensive backs coming up. We have the linebacker defense. Uh, defensive lines coming up we have wide receivers slash tight ends coming up wait we have wide receivers yeah yeah I, we, i'm not sure that those are wide receivers your guy we I have heard, darnell mooney though so we that's do have good. darnell mooney that's good. and i heard your guy was going off today well actually i did Equinom, see yes. a st brown yes. and like something something else a guy that i was a big fan of Nikhil harry there is a yes. pass there's well there was a pass to him that was wide open in the end zone justin, dropped it just, no justin sailed it oh. it was just over his head and i'm just like I, I mean, heard he sailed camp. two over. Yeah. I, I I specifically saw today two sailed over someone's head, and then I did see one was like ricocheted off someone's hand, and not exactly. You don't want to hear that, but I'm I'm not. I'm not I was like, looking yeah. at. I was actually because someone on Bears Twitter was like, "Relax, like the guys, just calm down." Here's a list of. Uh, here's an article from Joe Burrow's camp last season, oh, yeah. and he had thrown 
multiple Joe, interceptions. Joe Burrow threw like three picks or four was it four picks against the Bears like yeah. last year and then won the Super Bowl. So like Justin Fields, I mean we got to talk about Justin Fields a little bit. Like yes. we're the Bear, we're Bear fans. Come on, but like he has definitely only encouraged me so far. I've only heard good things about him this far in the camp. Like obviously he's young, he's still working on things, but like. I think we're not going to have similar numbers to next last year. So yes. I think we're going to see progression. I, I do too. And that's all we can um, ask for right now. I think that uh, Aaron, Coach Fernandez, was the one I asked him before we actually officially started the podcast. And I said, how's camp going for them? And he made the comment of, you know, getting 1% better every day. And I was like, all right, well, if that's what this we... This football coach talk is going through. <laughs> that's just what you hear every day. So that's where we are. Um, all right, this was... Episode two of Making Monsters, all about the offensive line. So we'll kind of progress through this offseason and get through the whole, all of the position groups and figure out where we are. Hopefully next week we know a little bit more about what's going on with Tevin, um, whether it be good or bad, hopefully good personally. Uh, but uh, that's it for now, Dylan. Yeah, it was it was a fun episode. It was very exciting that we got to have people on the podcast with yes. us. So that's not, not just you and I. So Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to everybody next week. All right. See you guys then. Bye-bye. <laughs>